Father, for what you do, serving the Lord, and tell people about what's coming ahead. Jesus is coming again. That's a reality. May we keep that in mind. When you know, when you see the condition of our world, Jesus is coming again. He will come again as he promised. Brother, why don't you come praise for us tonight? Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Love you. Praise God. Appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for coming out uh, tonight. Uh, I promise you, Pastor and I, our pastor is working on our next prophecy conference, and it's not just going to be for one day. We're going to try to expand it. Maybe Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or who knows, however the Lord leads. Uh, as he said, we were supposed to have it yesterday, but we felt that it was better to go to the memorial service. Uh, Jen asked me to do the memorial service for Brother Robbie, who went home to be with the Lord. Pastor did the uh, cemetery uh, portion of the service. I did the church portion of the service yesterday. And I want to say, I, I believe we planted uh, the seed of the gospel in the hearts of what we believe were many, many lost people uh, that were there uh, yesterday. And uh, we had a lady, as I said this morning, approach me, uh, and, and pastor for that matter, and she said that she just does not have the assurance of going to heaven when she dies. She would like to know. And I wanted to sit with her right there yesterday, but uh, she said she had to go out, but she took my name, phone number, email address, and I said, I'd like to talk with you as soon as possible. Time is of the essence. I'll tell you something right now, folks. We don't know when our deathbed is coming. We sing that hymn song, deathbeds are coming for you and for me. We don't know when our time is up. You quoted James 4.14 yesterday. Where is your life? It's like a vapor that appeareth for a little while, then it vanisheth away you know and we don't know when our time is going to come so you need to prepare as the late dr ed heinson once said bible prophecy is not meant to scare us but to prepare us there is a real heaven there is a real hell you will go to either one place or the other dependent upon what you do with Jesus Christ today. The invitation that I gave yesterday is simply this. Will Jesus be your savior today? Or will he be your judge tomorrow? Will you bow to him today? Or will you bow to him tomorrow? Will he say to you one day, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord? Or will he say to you one day, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I said yesterday, salvation is sufficient for all. Amen. Amen? But efficient for those who call upon the name of the Lord. To be born again through the Spirit of God. I believe in a whosoever gospel. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus Christ died for the sins of all. A-L-L. -L. What's my personal definition of all? All, Brother Tom, all means all, and that's all all means. All, amen. It's sad today that we even try to redefine that word. 
all to say that Jesus did not die for all. He died for a few. He died for some. I can't say he loves me, or I can't say he loves you. For God so loved the... They even try to define that word, world. You do a word study on world, everybody in it. Salvation is sufficient for all, but efficient for those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's why I say, you know, I don't, I don't go to these prophecy conferences all over the country and just throw all this information at people. I have a greedy motive. Say, really? Yeah. I want to use Bible prophecy to win people to Jesus Christ. And if I'm just traveling all across this country, just giving all this information, selling books or whatever, I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I want to use prophecy to evangelize and win people to Jesus Christ. I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed and stand before the Lord and give an account to Him as to why I did not seek to win people to Jesus Christ. That's why I go to Israel four times a year. Uh, four, sometimes even five, because out of three of those times that we go, we go there to evangelize and share the gospel with the Jewish people, with the Arab people. Why? I want to see the Jews in the pews. But in order for the Jews to be in the pews, the Jews need to hear the good news. Chabesara in Hebrew. I don't just go to the Jews. I said that this morning. I don't just go to the Jews. I go to the Arabs as well. God loves them too. Amen? Jew and Gentile. And folks, I'm telling you, time is of the essence. Brother Joe, you and I talk about these political activities when we get together. We talk about these geopolitical activities. They're heating up. They're intensifying. And preacher, you said it, it's not going to get any better. You say, well, how do I know that? It's going to get worse and worse. Just read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. What did Paul say? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You look at American society, oy vey, it's waxing cold. Ice cold. It's going to get worse. But as it gets worse, as it gets darker, the brighter it's becoming for you and I as born-again believers because Jesus Christ is about to call his bride out of the world. And his bride is not these four walls. It's not the floor. It's not the ceiling. The bride is you. The born-again, blood-washed child of God. We will one day rise to meet him in the air. The born-again dead in Christ from Pentecost up until now are coming out of those graves. They say, well, what if they were cremated? They're going too. You know why? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 30, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. The dead in Christ rise first. And we, which are alive and remain, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, we are told to comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, 
comfort one another with these words. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I have a King James Bible that says mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's been doing that for the past 2,000 years. He is getting heaven ready for his bride. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I love these four words. I will come again. Take that to the bank, amen. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I believe Jesus is coming sooner rather than later. And when he does come, and when the church is taken out of here at the rapture, anybody left behind, oy vey, you are in serious, serious trouble. Because the Bible describes an unprecedented seven-year period of tribulation to come upon this God-forsaken world, upon unbelieving Israel and the unbelieving Gentile nations of the world. Based on Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it's called a time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob, by the way? Right, Genesis 32, 28. Jacob to Israel. The Bible says in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy Holy city. When he's talking about thy people, what people is he talking about? Jews or Christians? Jews. I know they're Jews. You know why? He says, thy people in thy holy city. There ain't no reference to Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> Washington, D.C. Dallas, Austin, I think is the capital of uh, Texas. No, he's referring to the city of Jerusalem. A seven-year period of tribulation to come upon this world. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to be left behind. Don't get left behind. Remember what I said this morning. If you don't get right, you're going to get left. How do you get right? Get born again. Or as I say in the South, get born again. Get born again. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And when you do that, you will be ready for either one or two things. Either death, which happens every day, right? Don't believe me? Read the obituaries. Death or the next main event we call the rapture of the church. As promised this morning, I want to take you on a journey. I should say tonight, I want to take you on a journey. Out of all my 30 trips to Israel, and I cannot wait to go back next month, my wife and I will be leading a 10-day Bible prophecy tour to Israel. we got a great group of people from all over the country that have signed up to go with us, and I enjoy teaching them Bible prophecy on location. But when I go out there without a group, as I'm going to be doing in October with Todd Baker and I, Dr. Baker and I, going back to carry out the 52nd Israel Gospel Outreach, this past uh, July... Dr. Baker and I, after our day of evangelizing in Israel, I said, you know something, Todd? We should do a video shoot from Gilgal. He's like, man, in all my 54 trips to Israel, August, I've never been. 
to Gilgal. I said, well, neither have I. I've seen signs, highway signs for Gilgal, but we've always driving by it. I said, let's drive from Jerusalem, where we were staying, to Gilgal. And I want to show you what happened at Gilgal leading up to the city of Jerusalem. And you know, when we were at Gilgal, it was so hot that day, brother. Oh, man, was it hot. You could fry an egg in your hand. It was that hot. So we're at Gilgal, and I'm like, Todd, I really don't want to set up our video equipment. It's going to bake in the sun. We need to find some type of shade out here. He says, yeah, I agree. And so we get into the car. We're going down this little uh, uh, road here, and uh, we're trying to look around. We're looking around the place, and I'm like, I th there's no place where we can find shade here. So this car pulls up behind us in Gilgal, and he's beeping his horn. I'm like, Todd, just pull over to the side. Let them go by. He pulls over to the side. This car pulls up beside us. The guy's rolling down his window. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to give us an earful. He rolls down the window. He says, August? I'm like, hey, I remember you. We gave you a Bible, you and your wife, in Jerusalem. He says, ah! He's screaming. Gets out of his car. Gets out of his car. Him and his wife, they had the kids and the dogs in there gets out of the car, runs up to me, gives me a bear hug. They live in Gilgal. Gives me a bear hug. Almost lifts me off the ground. His wife is hugging me, and then they're hugging Todd. And I'm like, and this was in 2019 when we saw them in Jerusalem and we were sharing the gospel with them. Gave them a complete Hebrew Bible, Old and New Testament and Hebrew, Jewish gospel tracts. And I said, what are you guys doing here at Gilgal? He says, man, we live at Biblical Gilgal. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, yeah, this is where we live. He says, well, what are you guys doing here? I said, we're about to do a, a Bible teaching on video uh, here at Gilgal to put on Facebook and YouTube and, and so on and so forth. We must have talked for at least 30 minutes sweating bullets. But we didn't care. And so I said, listen, have you been reading any of the gospel literature that we've been giving you. He says, man, keep praying for me because I'm reading the New Testament right now. Or what they say in Hebrew, the Berit Chadashah. He says, I'm reading the Berit Chadashah, the New Testament right now. And I'm reading all the gospel tracts that you gave me back from 2019. He says, but just August, keep praying for me, he said. So we exchange information, Facebook pages, and when we go back to Israel uh, in October after our September uh, trip, we're gonna get together again talk with him, and I'm just going to tell him, listen, if you haven't made that decision, you need to make that decision now. His name is Elan. Trust in Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, as your Lord and personal Savior. That was the experience that we had right there at uh, Tel Gilgal. So listen, before we um, uh, begin, we don't have a book table or anything like that uh, set up today, but if you want to subscribe to my email newsletters, go to my website, todayinbibleprophecy.org and you can hit newsletter sign up and then once you give us your name your email address we'll make sure you receive our Bible prophecy uh, newsletters if you'd like to join us on a future Bible prophecy tour to Israel we still have some seats for next month September 14th through the 24th I'd love to teach you Bible prophecy right there on location hey listen if we get raptured in Israel, it's only going to be a domestic flight for us.
okay? For the rest of you, it's international. No, we all go up the same time. Right, Brother Joe? We all go up the same time. But uh, it's just that special when you study Bible prophecy right there in the land of the Bible. Amen. So if you'd like to join us on a fall or, Lord willing, a spring 2023 in March prophecy tour, uh, you can uh, let me know. And pray for my wife and I because a week from today, I'm going to be preaching a four-day Bible prophecy conference in Toledo, Ohio. Faith. Baptist Church, they called me some time ago and said, hey, we haven't seen you in five years, brother. And everybody's asking about you here at Faith Baptist Church. When is Brother August coming down? So he called me and said, you know, we'll book, an air, we'll book the airfare for you and get you down here so that we can have this four-day Bible prophecy conference. So please pray for that conference. I'll be preaching in Toledo, Ohio, Faith Baptist Church, and pray that people will get saved. Amen. That's what it's all about, using prophecy that permeates one-fourth of Scripture to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, with that said, we're going to look at two passages in the Old Testament um, tonight. Let's look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 19. That's the first passage we're going to be looking at. Joshua, I love the book of Joshua. Yeah, that's a good book right there, man. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse number 19. Joshua chapter 4 and verse number 19. We'll look at 19 and 20. And the word of God says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho and those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal now with that said let's find 1st Samuel chapter number 5 1st Samuel a few books down first uh, actually not 1st Samuel it should be 2nd Samuel 2nd Samuel 2nd Samuel chapter 5 yeah, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. And the Bible says this. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. And Hebron, you know, we say in the West, Hebron. Hebron. In Israel, they'll correct you. Politely, but they'll correct you. They'll say, lo, 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 lo. L-O is Hebrew for no, lo. <laughs> lo, 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 lo. Lo, Hebron, Ken, Hebron. Ken, K-E-N, like the name, that's Hebrew for yes. Hebron, H-E-V, as in Victor, R-O-N, Hebron. It says, in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. Verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. Jerusalem was called Jebus at the time. The inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Hey, David, you're not taking this city. Our blind and our lame can repel you. You ain't taking nothing. But when I read verse 7, guess what? <laughs> Nevertheless, David 
took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Let's pray tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we once again come into your presence, thanking you for this opportunity to open the Word of God, to preach the timely truths that are contained in this blessed, authoritative, and holy book. This book that comes from the very heart of God. It's my prayer tonight, dear Lord, that we would be attentive, that there'd be no obstacles, nothing to distract our attention. That's what the devil would like. Help us, dear Lord, to stay locked in, focused, not only on the Word of God, but what is being preached tonight behind this pulpit. And Lord, there could be someone here tonight, lost, undone, one trumpet sound away from being left behind at the rapture, one heartbeat away from going to hell, a Christless eternity. I pray tonight, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would have His will and His way and prick that very heart, Lord, that needs to be regenerated, that heart that needs to call upon the name of the Lord and get saved, knowing, Lord, that we are rapidly drawing ever so close to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would use me tonight, give me the words that I need, the unction and the anointing that I need to preach this very message. And again, keep me within the bounds of Scripture as I do so. We don't want to abuse and misuse, as is going on in the church today, this wonderful doctrine that we call Bible prophecy. We don't need to manipulate or get cute with the Scriptures, but just preach it for its plain sense interpretation because the Bible is its best own interpreter. So Father, thank you for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Before Jerusalem became the permanent capital of the Jewish people, there were other temporary locations that served as capital for the Jewish people when they came into the land of milk and honey. The promised land. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. First slide, brother, please. Shortly after the death of Moses, who succeeds him? Yahashua. Almost similar to Jesus' name in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yahashua. Joshua succeeds Moses and Joshua has the task of leading the Jewish people into the land of milk and honey to settle in the land that God promised to give them. Amen. When you think about what Israel and the Jewish people possess today, that's not all God promised them. They, Brother Tom, they only possess 10% of a little slither of land that's no bigger than the state of New Jersey. There are 38 passages in the Old Testament that talk about Israel's original land grant. And they might not possess that land grant now, but they will during the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. 
what rightfully belongs to the Jewish people starts in the south where the river of Egypt is, the Nile, going all the way to where the Euphrates River is today. We're talking in the area of northern Iraq. That rightfully belongs to the Jewish people. And then some. What rightfully belongs to the Jewish people, based on what I read in these 38 passages in the Old Testament, this is what rightfully belongs to the Jewish people. Half of Egypt. That belongs to them. Half of Egypt. All of Israel. All of Lebanon. All of Jordan. All of Syria. Three-fourths of Iraq. All of Kuwait. Three-fourths of Saudi Arabia. That all belongs to the Jewish people. God gave them all that land by divine right. They don't possess it all now, but they will possess it in the not-too-distant future when Yeshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigns in the Davidic theocratic kingdom to come. But Joshua leads them in, roughly at around maybe 1410 B.C. or so, leads them in into the promised land to settle in the land. Next slide, please. And Joshua must drive out the pagan, cruel, nasty Canaanites, the Canaanite forces. He must drive out the Jebusites. He must drive out the Amorites. <laughs> he must drive out the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, the Mosquito Bites. I ran out of bites, I'm sorry. But he has to drive all of these Canaanites out of the land. Why? Because God said so. God said, Joshua, I want them all eliminated. From the men, to the women, to the youth, yes, even the babies. I want them all gone, God said. Why would God do something like that? Well, you ask him when you get up there to heaven, amen? But God knows what he's doing. God said, I want them all driven out of the land. Dr. Baker and I, back in 2018, uh, in the Galilee, we visited a place called, you know, we say again in the West, Hazor, but in Israel they call it Hatzor. You look at the Hebrew here, Chaf, Zion, Resh, Hatzor. Hatzor or Tel Hatzor. And when you go to Tel Hatzor today, when Joshua made his way all the way up north, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 11, verse 10, he burned Hatzor to the ground. And look at the soot. Look at that black soot. You can still see the soot from 3,500 years ago when Joshua burned Tel Hatzor to the ground. I want these Canaanites out of the land, God said. If you were an ethnic group, that ended with an ite, God said, you're gone. If you were a part of that Canaanite conglomeration in the Old Testament times in the land, God wanted you out. Hatzor was the capital of the Canaanite factions that were all over the land of Israel. Why did God want the Canaanites out of the land? Why was he so incensed on having them out of the land? Why? These people were brutal, man. They made their kids pass through the fire. And when I say pass through the fire, that doesn't mean they were forcing the kids to walk on hot coals. Oh, eat, oh, oh. No. They burned their kids alive. When I take you to Jerusalem, I'm going to take you to a place 
called the Valley of Hinnom. It's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 31 and 32. In 31, it's called Tophet, where they sacrificed their children right there in the Hinnom Valley. The fires burned 24 hours a day, sacrificing kids, burying the kids until they ran out of burial space. But when you get to Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 7, 32, it changes from Tophet to the Valley of Slaughter. These Canaanites, they were wicked. These Canaanites were very brutal individuals. And God said, I want them out of the land. Why? Because Canaan was cursed. Because of his father's ham sin against Noah and looking at his father's nakedness. That takes you back to Genesis chapter 9, 20 through 25. And because of Ham's actions in seeing his father Noah's nakedness, Canaan and his descendants, the Canaanites, would be cursed. That's the reason why Noah's other sons had to take a blanket. And how did they cover their father's nakedness? Exactly. They went backwards. We're not <laughs> they went backwards like, okay, okay, whoop, there you go, Dad. You know? But Ham looked on his father's nakedness, and because of that, his son and his descendants, the Canaanites, would be cursed. And by the way, this curse would only come upon the Canaanites. Not all of Ham's descendants, only the Canaanites. Amen? Go to the next slide, please. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, look at this verse right here. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Question to all of you this, uh, this night. When will the iniquity of the Amorites be fulfilled? When Joshua comes to the land and he wipes these people out. God said, get rid of, of, unfortunately, not all the Canaanite factions were wiped out because we read 2 Samuel chapter 5. And who's left of those Canaanite factions? The Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. Getting smart. Getting nasty with King David. Who do you think you are, David? You think you're going to take this city? Our, our lame and our blind can stop you, David. You ain't taking nothing. And yet the Bible says, nevertheless... David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is Ur David in Hebrew. The same is the city of David. I love visiting the city of David when I take my tour groups to Jerusalem. And when I take my tour groups to Jerusalem, I say, how many of you guys would like to take a walk with me, if you're not claustrophobic, how many of you guys would like to take a walk with me through Hezekiah's tunnel? A 2,700-year-old title mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 20. Everyone's number 20. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right, Patty? <laughs> when I took a group, not everyone wanted to go because they're claustrophobic, because you have like a you know, rock ceiling above and rock walls, and the water's like up to your knees. That's how they brought water into the city. No, they had to dig from one side of the city of Jerusalem, from another side of the city of Jerusalem, until both sides met, and the Bible says the waters gushed through. That's how they provided water to the city, so the Assyrians wouldn't get their hands on that water. Hezekiah said, if they find this water, we're dead men. 
So they had to uh, cut out that 2,700-year-old uh, tunnel. But we're walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. Patty's behind me. I have a, <laughs> I have a few people in front of me. You've got to have shoes on because it's really rocky. And again, the water's really cold. Like I said, it probably just goes up to your knees in the summertime. And uh, we're walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. You can still see the, the pick marks from 2,700 years ago. Unbelievable. And all Patty could say the whole entire 25 minutes of walking through Hezekiah's tunnel was simply this. I can't believe I'm walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. I can't believe I'm walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. I'm like, Patty, we know. I can understand she was really excited, and I get it. People who go to Israel for the first time, they get excited about something. But she was like so repetitious. She was saying over and over, I can't believe I'm walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. I'm like, we know, Patty, we know. But, it, but it's a very uh, exciting experience, amen? The iniquity of the Amorites, not yet full. This would be fulfilled when Israel leaves Egypt under Moses and then comes into the promised land under Joshua, and Joshua would have that responsibility, given to him by God, to eliminate these Canaanite factions. And God would use Joshua and the Israelites as a means of judgment against these Canaanite factions who inhabited the land, and God said, destroy them all. The iniquity, the iniquity of the Amorites would be fulfilled at that time. After Moses' death, Joshua was called by God to lead the people, as you know, of Israel, into the land. They go through the Jordan River. They come into the promised land. And what place did they first settle? What? Gilgal. Gilgal would be the first temporary capital of the Jewish people. The first temporary capital. Next slide, please. And we'll open the drapes there. And you see these two ugly guys, amen? <laughs> Todd, I know you're watching. Dr. Todd Baker and I were right there. Look how beautiful that place is, man. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed in almost 4,000 years, amen? It's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. When we met our friends over there that we shared the gospel with back in 2019, they directed us to this area over here in Gilgal, a wooden canopy if you will, and you can watch this particular video on my YouTube channel right there from Gilgal. Gilgal serves as the first temporary capital. Are you with me? The first temporary capital of the Jewish people as they make their way into the promised land. Gilgal is near the Dead Sea, overlooking the mountains of Ammon on the east side of the Jordan River. When we look at Jordan today, and by the way, one of our stops is in Jordan on our prophecy tour. And I take our people to North Jordan, Amman, Ammon, Jordan, to Mount Nebo. And I taught at Mount Nebo this past March. What happened at Mount Nebo? Somebody died at Mount Nebo. Somebody was buried at Mount Nebo. Moshe Rabbeinu, as they say in Hebrew. Moses died and was buried Mount Nebo. And it was kind of hazy that day, Brother Tom, but I can still clearly see Jericho from Jordan. And I can see the Dead Sea, the northern part of the Dead Sea from Jordan in the area where Moses would have viewed it almost 4,000 years ago. So absolutely unbelievable. And so he comes over the Jordan River. 
comes into the promised land, they first settle at Gilgal. You got Jericho to the west, and you got Gilgal to the east. The Bible is a geographically accurate book, is it not? Amen? Geographically accurate. They, they first settle after crossing Jordan. They go over into Gilgal. Then we read, right? We read in Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, that when they crossed the Jordan, they settled at Gilgal. <clears throat> they erect 12 stones representing what? I think you know this. Right. The 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And we see those 12 stones. And I don't know if those are the original 12 stones that they erected, but there's 12 huge, large stones right there at Gilgal. Gilgal served as the, <clears throat> excuse me, the temporary capital for the Israelites and was the base of operations for Joshua and the children of Israel. And from there, they began to cleanse the land of these Canaanites and divide the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. And that happened at another location. Go with me to Joshua 18 and verse number 1. i got to show you this. Back up to Joshua. I'm going somewhere with this, folks. Bear with me now. Joshua chapter 18 and verse number 1. They get to a new location. This location would serve as the second temporary capital of the Jewish people. Joshua moves his base of operations from Gilgal to the center part of the country. Look at Joshua 18 verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at where? Okay, let's, let, let me, let's, let's correct something here. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> Try pronouncing it in its Hebrew form. Because then in Israel, they will, they will politely correct you. We know you're Americans. We know you're from the West. And we love you. They'll tell you that we love you. But it's not Shiloh. It's Shiloh. Everyone say Shiloh. Shiloh. Remember that next time. When you think of Hebron, say Hebron. Get that little tongue roll there. Hebron. And then Shiloh. So now Joshua moves his base of operations, and let's go to the next slide, please. He moves his base of operations to Shiloh. I had my tour group there in 2019. And again, look at the landscape, the biblical landscape. Nothing has changed in over 4,000 biblical years. The picture, that doesn't do it any justice at all. I'm in the area, I'm standing in the area where archaeologists will tell you the tabernacle, the Mishkan, stood for 369 years. Joshua takes the Mishkan, the tabernacle, from Gilgal, they reassemble at Shiloh. And we're standing right, you can still see this huge empty area would have been perfect for a tabernacle this stand some 4,000 years ago. It was from Shiloh that Hannah, Hannah is praying for a son. 
And God grant Hannah, Shmuel, Hanabi, Samuel, the prophet. Amen? All that was right there at Shiloh. And when you go there today, they have like this little movie theater that you sit down in. And you, you sit down, and it's got like theater-style chairs. They didn't give us any popcorn or butter, but they have theater-style uh, chairs there. And a big, huge screen. And it shows you within maybe 12, 13 minutes of how Joshua and the Israelites acted in superb, how they came right into Shiloh. And it was from Shiloh that Joshua begins to divide the land. They even have a laser demonstration that you stand right in front of this huge large table, a laser demonstration of how they reassembled the tabernacle or Hebrew, the Mishkan, right there at Shiloh. And the tabernacle would stand at Shiloh, the second temporary location of the capital for the Jewish people for 369 years once they subdued the land. The tabernacle is moved from Gilgal to Shiloh. The land is divided from Shiloh, but Shiloh would not stand that long. You know why? The Philistines. Remember we talked about the Philistines this morning? The Philistines, a thorn in Israel's flesh. The Philistines came in, and they destroyed where I'm standing right now. They destroyed the tabernacle. They destroyed Shiloh. And guess what precious artifact they take? The Ark of the Covenant. But then later on, after all of these plagues that the Philistines endured, they said, let's get rid of this Jewish box here, man. Give it back to them. We don't want it anymore. The Ark of the Covenant didn't come back to Shiloh. It returned to a place that Patty and I visited, just her and I in Israel. I said, Patty, I'm going to take you to a place called Beit Shemesh. Beit Shemesh in Hebrew, the house of the sun. That is where the Ark of the Covenant came back. Go to the next slide, please. And yet it tells us why Shiloh was destroyed. Look, Psalm 78, verse 60. So that he forsook the where? The tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men. Why did God forsake the tabernacle? At Shiloh. I'll tell you why. Because Eli looked the other way while his two sons were having their way with women in the tabernacle. Hophni and Phineas. All this sin was coming up. And God said, I'm not going to tolerate it. And he allowed the Philistines to come into Shiloh, destroy Shiloh. And I'll tell you what, Shiloh never returned to its glory. And when the ark was returned, it did not go back to Shiloh. It went to Beit Shemesh. You see highway signs on your way to Jerusalem, Beit Shemesh. Unbelievable. And according to Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 12 and 14, Shiloh still remained in ruins even during the time of the Jewish prophet Jeremiah. Then David becomes king of Israel. And he begins his reign in Hebron for seven years and a half years. So then now Hebron is the third temporary capital of the Jewish people. Couldn't go to Jerusalem as of yet or Jebus at that time because who were there? The Jebusites. So David had to put a military plan in action. 
He reigns in Hebron for seven and a half years. So Hebron is the third temporary capital of the Jewish people at that time. Go to the next slide, please. Hebron is about 19 miles south of the city of Jerusalem. Again, in the West, we say Hebron or Hebron, but in Hebrew, it's Hebron. Get that guttural Hebron. Jews love using the guttural Hebron. And I believe it was 2019, Patty, where my tour guide, Hillel Bars today, looked at me and he says, uh, you look at Hillel Bars today, he looks like one of the prophets that just walked out of the pages of the Bible. Long, white beard, unbelievable. Reminds me of Elisha, don't ask me why. But anyway, even I don't know what Elisha looks like, it just reminds me of Elisha. But anyway, anyway, he looked at me and he, he never calls me August, he always calls me Rabbi. Go figure. He says, uh, Rabbi, he says, uh, where do you want to go today? I said, um, I'm not sure. He goes, any place that's not on the itinerary, we'll go to. I said, really? He says, really. I said, all right. Ah, let's go to Hebron. He says, where? I said, Hebron. He goes, you want to go to Hebron? I'm like, hey, you said it, man. Anywhere. He goes, no problem. We'll go to Hebron. We drove from Jerusalem, 19 miles south, to Hebron. You know where he took us? The cave of Machpelah, mentioned in Genesis 25. It's built, it was built by Herod the Great 2,000 years ago over the tombs where the patriarchs and the matriarchs are buried. On one side, you have Jews going in. On the opposite side, you have Arabs or Palestinians going in. And do you know who's buried there? Who were the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who were the matriarchs? Sarah, Rebecca, Leah. Rachel's not there. Do you know why Rachel's not there? Rachel, based on Genesis 35, died on her way to Bethlehem. That's why when you go to Bethlehem today, you'll pass by the traditional tomb of Rachel, the traditional tomb of Rachel. But the patriarchs and the matriarchs are right there. You're looking at the city where David reigned for seven and a half years based on what we just read in first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It said David was 30 years old right when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. He reigns for seven years in Hebron, and then 33 years, he reigns in Jerusalem. So if he's 30 years old, and he reigned for um, 40 years, that would take him to 70 years of age at the end of his reign as king. He reigns for seven and a half years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. And yet 2 Samuel 5, 7 said, David takes the stronghold of Zion and makes Jerusalem his capital. So now Jerusalem would be the permanent, yes, the permanent capital of the Jewish people. And folks, that would be the case for the last 3,000 years. Jerusalem has been the capital of the Jewish people. It has never been the capital of any other foreign entity other than the Jewish people. The Bible is crystal clear on this. So when he takes Jerusalem 
in 2 Samuel chapter 5, Jerusalem becomes the political capital. Go to the next slide, please. Then, in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, again, you've got to go to my YouTube page, watch me teach from these very locations. He goes to a place called Kiryat Yarim, mentioned in the Bible, mentioned in 2 Samuel. He goes to Kiryat Yarim, seven miles south of Jerusalem. You're looking at what is called the Church of the Ark of the Covenant in Kiryat Yarim today. That's in the area where David fetches the Ark of the Covenant, brings it back to Jerusalem. And when he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, Jerusalem is now the what? The spiritual capital of the Jewish people because now you have the Ark of the Covenant there in the now permanent capital of the Jewish people. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the following chapter, Jerusalem in the future, according to Bible prophecy, will be the capital of planet Earth. When King Jesus sits on David's throne in the millennial kingdom reign to come. Next slide, please. So I uh, found this on the Israel Hayom. Israel Chayom, Ha, the in Hebrew, Yom, day, Israel the day, Israel Chayom magazine. It says that, and look, they show a picture of where? See, Hebron. Show a picture of Hebron, the cave of Mechila. Second temple period artifacts in danger due to construction works in Hebron or Hebron. So there's a big stink going on over there at the cave of Mechila with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Uh, Barry, there's a legal battle going on over there right now. And what they want to do is they want to build a, um, a handicap ramp into the cave of Machpelah. But they say if you do that, you're going to destroy ancient artifacts going back to the second temple period. When I say first temple period, I'm talking about Solomon's temple. When I say second temple period, I'm talking about uh, Herod's temple in the time of Jesus Christ. So just to differentiate between the first and second temple period, they're afraid of destroying precious temple artifacts, going back to the time of the second temple period. And they said if you build a handicap ramp that's accessible, which is, which is a good thing, not only will you destroy second temple period artifacts, you're also going to destroy Islamic artifacts dating back to the Ottoman period. And folks, this could result in much worse damage carried out by the Palestinians. Because you know what they're doing right now on the Temple Mount? They're destroying artifacts dating back to the first and the second temple period. So if I find, say, a, a pillar maybe that tall, dating back to the first temple period, instead of turning it over to the Jewish people, you know what they do? They destroy it. Why would they do that? Destroy the evidence to erase all Jewish connection to the land. Or say if they found a coin, the half-shekel coin, to use to pay the temple tax during the second temple period in the time of Jesus Christ. Instead of turning that over to the Israeli Antiquities Authority, you know what they do? Throw it away. They throw it in the trash in the Kidron Valley. So now you have these archaeologists, they go in, and I'm talking mounds and mounds, tons of dirt. And they're taking pickaxe and whatever, and they're digging through that. They are finding coins. They're finding pottery. They're finding small pillars, all dating back to the first and second temple period. What are these Palestinians afraid of? 
You have no biblical connection to the land, but the Jews do. And any Islamic artifacts that are discovered in Israel is only after 700 years after the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and not before. You with me? So the, the conspiracy is on to destroy all artifacts related to the Jewish people from the time of Joshua up until the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. And what really got my goal is they did major damage to Joshua's altar on Mount Ebal in Samaria. Major damage to Joshua chapter 8 verse 30 says, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is known as the Mount of Curses in the Bible. Six tribes stood on Mount Ebal, six tribes on Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings. And Joshua established that altar right there on Mount Ebal. If you obey the Lord, the blessings of Mount Gerizim will come upon you. If you disobey, the curses of Mount Ebal will come upon you. I took my tour group to Mount Gerizim shortly before COVID in 2019. I had an opportunity to meet the Samaritan high priest. I shared the gospel with this guy. I gave him a Bible. I gave him gospel. He was absolutely thrilled. And he told my tour group and I, the next time you're here for a Passover, we want you as our guest. He says, we're going to roast the lamb. He showed me the pit. We're going to roast the lamb right here in this very pit. We'll put you up in the rooms that we have right here. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. And we'll show you what a real Passover is all about. And right below Mount Gerizim is Jacob's well. That should remind you of John chapter number four, when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and shares that good news with her. Again, you've got to come to Israel. You've got to see these things with your own eyes. Palestinians have been trying to erase the Jewish connection to the land for years now, destroying all these artifacts from the first and second temple periods to deny an indigenous Jewish connection. But I'll tell you this. Bible prophecy tells us that Jerusalem will be earth's capital during the theocratic reign of Jesus the Messiah. As Jerusalem will be earth's capital at that time. Not just the capital of the Jewish people anymore. It will be earth's capital. Amen. Next slide, please. That should remind you. We looked at this already. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Let me paraphrase here. God is telling Melech David, King David, David, you're going to have a future descendant down the road who's going to sit on your throne. And he's going to sit as king. That will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. If you look at this, this plant right here, this plant represents the rapture of the church. We look at this pulpit right here. This represents a seven-year period of tribulation. We look at this keyboard right here. This represents the second coming of Jesus Christ. We look at those row of chairs against the wall over there. That represents the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ to come. So we have the rapture of the church. We have a seven year period of tribulation. We have the second coming. We have the millennial kingdom reign, amen. Please keep that all in mind. At this event we call the rapture of the church. He comes for his church. We go to meet him in the air. And by the way, at the rapture, his feet does not touch anywhere on planet earth, amen. And not every eye is going to see him. The only ones that are going to see him are you. Following that, 
will be a seven-year period of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Following that seven-year period of tribulation will be the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. Then at this event, guess what? Every eye is going to see him. Amen? That's, that's uh, Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh in the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I told you, you must differentiate between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture, he comes for his church. The second coming, he's coming back with his church. Rapture, second coming, separated by the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And at this event, when he destroys the Antichrist and the false prophet, Revelation 19, 19, 20, Satan is bound in the bottomless pit, amen? Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, that he's going to establish a kingdom that will last for 1,000 years. I take that to be literal, preacher. A physical, bodily reign of Jesus Christ from a literal city I have visited 30 times. The holy city of Yerushalayim, Shel Zahab, Jerusalem, the city of gold. And based on 2 Samuel 7, 16, Jerusalem will be earth's capital during the theocratic reign of Jesus the Messiah on this earth. That should excite you, amen? That should have you stand up saying, hallelujah, he's coming back. Talk about Bible prophecy. Oh, that stuff just scares me, Pastor. Bible prophecy. Hey, listen, if Bible prophecy scares you, you just need to get saved. Plain and simple, man. And I get that a lot from some people who say they're Christians. Prophecy terrorizes me. It scares me. Well, then just get born again. If you're saved, Bible prophecy is going to be your blessed hope. If you're lost, one day it'll be your holy terror. Amen? It's our blessed hope that we're looking forward to, ladies and gentlemen. And, I, and again, as the late Dr. Ed Heinsohn would, would say, Bible prophecy is not meant to scare us, but to prepare us. But if it's going to scare you and getting saved, then get scared. Because a terrible seven-year period of tribulation is about to come upon this world. And then, as God promised to David, Jesus will sit on David's throne. By the way, on your spare time, read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called, and I love the Hebrew, Paleo Etz, wonderful counselor, El Gibor, the mighty God, Aviad, the everlasting father, Sar Shalom. Everyone knows Shalom? The prince of peace. But verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom shall he order it and establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth, even forever and ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. And then Dr. Luke, chapter 1, 32 and 33, which I believe is Jewish, by the way, but that's another story for another time. He said, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Yaakov, Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. 2 Samuel chapter 5. David leaves Hebron, goes to Jerusalem, conquers the Jebusites. Jerusalem is now the permanent capital. After Gilgal, after Shiloh, after Hebron, 
Finally, it's Jerusalem. He takes Jerusalem from the Jebusites, made it the political capital. Second Samuel chapter 6 goes to Kiryat Yarin, takes the Ark of the Covenant, brings the Ark back into Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is the spiritual capital. In the future, 2 Samuel 7, when Jesus is reigning on David's throne, Jerusalem will be Earth's capital. Ezekiel 5.5, 5, the very center of the Earth. Amen? He will reign from David's throne. In a literal kingdom for 1,000 years. In closing, when we look at the news today, we see the battle for Jerusalem heating up. I remember Time Magazine, Brother Tom, maybe seven years ago, I don't know. Time Magazine came out with a front article and it had the outline of a rabbi, Hasidic Jew. And right on it said, the battle for Jerusalem. And even prior to that, I believe it was in uh, 1997, Time Magazine came up with another article, getting ready to build the third temple. If you come to Israel with us, I'm going to take you to the Temple Institute in the old city of Jerusalem. They're making all the preparations for the rebuilding of that third Jewish temple. It is absolutely unbelievable. But the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, God said, one day I will gather all nations to Jerusalem for battle. The Arabs say, it belongs to us. The world said it shouldn't, it shouldn't be the capital of anybody. It should be an international capital. That's what the Vatican's saying, by the way. Shouldn't be owned by anyone. Hey, I got news for you. Based on my reading of the word of God, based on my reading of 2 Samuel 5, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jerusalem has always been the undivided, eternal capital of the Jewish people. And God said, one day I'll meet all the nations head on when they put their dirty paws on my holy city. Second Chronicles 6, 6, God said, I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there forever and have chosen David to rule over my people, Israel. Jerusalem, the center of the earth, Ezekiel 5, 5. That's where he's coming back to establish his kingdom for 1,000 years. What am I telling you, folks? Stage is being set. The actors are getting into position. The curtain is about to go up on the end time drama. Final slide, please. I'm here to tell you the next main event on God's calendar of activities is the rapture of the church. Wow, you think about that. From Gilgal, <laughs> to Shiloh, to Hebron, to Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem in the kingdom. The next main event is the rapture of the church. And I shared this at Robbie's memorial yesterday, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul said, for I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the shofar, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 4.17 Caught up harpazo to harpoon, rapturo to seize or to snatch away. Call us into heaven. And when he takes us to heaven, we will be in heaven. For Yeah. I think you caught on now. For a brief seven years while the earth was going through what? Seven year period of tribulation. Hey, no signs precede the rapture, no prophecies have to be fulfilled. You know what that means? Keep that ear hole on. Keep looking up. Jesus coming soon. And faster than you can blink the human eye, we're out of here. We're out. We're out. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Woo! What a day that's going to be. We sang that song. What a day. What a day that's going to be. You say, well, you're kind of passionate about it. I should be, and so should you. I mean, wow, that's enough to say, make a Pentecostal say I'm a fundamental Baptist, man. <laughs> Prophecy should excite you, motivate you to win people to Jesus Christ. I think we're running on borrowed time. I think we're running on fumes. How about you? We're running out of time, folks. He's coming back. Just briefly, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we're going to be dismissed. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. Chris is going to just play a song of invitation. If God is speaking to you here tonight at East Bay Baptist Church, and you're saying, August, I do not have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. I don't want to be left behind at the rapture. Definitely not. I don't want to die and go to hell. But August, I know I need to be saved. I need someone to show me from the Bible how I can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that one day heaven will be my destination. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you, you're at the right place at the right time. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about. You know why? You're around people who love and care about you. So if you're here right now and you're saying, August, I need someone to pray for me that I will get saved. If that's you, just slip your hand up and put it down. August, pray for me. I need to be saved. Do we have anyone like that here tonight? 
at East Bay Baptist Church. Anybody at all? August, pray for me. I need to be saved. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to go to hell. I need to get saved right now. Anybody at all? Anybody? All right, let me ask you this. If you are born again, if you are saved, you know you're ready to go, whether by death or by rapture, you know you're ready to go. If you are saved, would you raise your hand as a testimony and just keep it up for a second, please? August, I'm saved and I know it. No if, ands, or buts about it. Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you. you put those hands down. Praise the Lord. I told you I have a greedy motive. And I want to use prophecy to win someone to Jesus Christ, Brother Tom. That's my goal. I want to win people to the Lord. If you want to go argue prophecy, that you know, take that somewhere else. I got, I got bigger fish to fry. I got bigger fish to fry. And that's win the lost at any cost. I'm going to pray. Pastor's going to come up. If you need to talk with me, I'm going to be right down here. Men need to talk with me. Ladies, we got Dawn here, my wife, Nancy. They'll, they'll show you from the Word of God how to be saved. Father, thank you for the opportunity once again to preach at my home church, a church that I can call home, a church that my, my wife and I are members of. I'm grateful, Lord, for this ministry of East Bay Baptist Church. Being a light to the people of East Providence and the surrounding areas, Lord. Father, it's my prayer for those that are here now, those that are watching via live stream on the East Bay Facebook page and my Facebook page, that the Word of God would find a special place in their hearts, Lord, and that they would contact East Bay Baptist Church for information on how to get saved or maybe even looking for a good, local, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that loves the Word of God, loves people, and so they have a place here at East Bay Baptist Church. So, Father, I pray that you bless this time now. We ask that you will be done. For it's in Jesus' precious, sweet, and holy name we pray. And all of God's holy people said, Amen.